0: gonna be we're gonna kind of tie a bow on it and, and wrap it up before I jump into the passage uh, Missy and I were in South Africa a couple months ago and I met this guy named Dave and no offense Dave but when you meet a guy named Dave I didn't expect him to be the most interesting man in the world <laughs> Like this guy so picture the most interesting man in the world you know like. This is what the guy looked like: like nice, nice, full gray beard, not too long, not too short, like but full. About, this guy's about 75 years old. Um, he he has a British accent, so that, I mean that's like that makes him cool already. So British accent. Uh, he lives in the Bahamas, though that's his home. I'm like, wow, that's, that's that sounds like a great life. Um, and we met him great white shark cage diving. So this guy, 75, is, is there doing this. So there's a group of us that came to, to go shark cage diving with great whites. We're, we're there, and, and I walk in the room, Missy and I do, and, and I'm like, well, the first thing I'm thinking is who should I talk to? And, and I look, and there's a young couple here in their late 20s. Oh, Kev, can you get those lights? There's a young couple here in, the, in their late 20s from the States. They're, yeah, just hit that top switch from, from the States. I, I hope it's not the power. I think it's the timer. Yeah, yeah. So where was I? Oh, there's a couple over here. They're, they're from the States, they're a young couple. And I'm like, oh, they look like us. Maybe we should talk to them. I'm like, no, no, no. <laughs> um, and then there's, there's a, a group of, of Thai tourists, and I'm half Thai. So I'm like, maybe I should talk to them. And I'm like, no, no, they'll ask if I speak Thai and then I'll just be embarrassed because I'll just rattle off my numbers and all the random words I know, uh, which I ended up doing and they didn't think it was funny. <laughs> um, and, and then I see this guy, Dave. And he's by himself, no one's talking to him. And so I go, we, we go and talk to him. I think I approached him first. And, and find, to find out, this guy he'd been like traveling around the world on a sailboat. Not on his own, but he would go to a port, he would find a ship, and it was like he would Uber around the world on sailboats, and he would just work on the sailboat, and he would, that's how he, and he just, that was his life. He just went around, and, and he saw a ship, and he'd be like, hey, you need a hand? Yep, let's go, and he'd go the next thing, and go, and he'd been doing this for years, and, and uh, his next stop was, is Nepal, or was Nepal. And, and I'm like in awe, I'm like talking to this guy, I'm like, oh my gosh, this is so cool. Um, Cause he's been to all these different places and countries and I love traveling and, and just seeing different things. And so I'm trying to learn from him. And so he said he's going to, to Nepal. And I thought it'd be dumb to say, hey, are you gonna climb Mount Everest? <laughs> like, that's, just, that's just dumb, but that's the first thing that popped in my head, but I didn't say it. And, and I said instead, are you gonna see Everest? And so I was like, hey, are you are gonna see Mount Everest? He's like, he's like, yeah, I'm gonna, he's like, I'm gonna helicopter by it. He's like, I've climbed it twice. <laughs> and I was like, you're kidding me. He's like, actually, I've climbed the seven summits, which that's the, the, the seven highest peaks. So one, the highest peak on each continent. He says, I've, I've scaled each of those, like, even Antarctica. And so he starts to tell me all about this. I'm asking all these questions, and, and he starts to tell me like all these lessons he's learned, all about his life, about himself, about traveling, about just seeing the world and experiencing it. And the whole time I'm thinking, wow, like what a metaphor for life. That we're just, like this guy, Dave, who when I looked, he had a Dos Equis in his hand. I'm just kidding, he didn't. <laughs> The most interesting man in the world, he's like, he's doing all these things, and he's scaling all these mountains, and he's telling me about all these things that he's learned about himself. And I thought, that's like, that's a big metaphor for us. We're we're trying to climb these mountains. And and your life is like this. You're 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 climbing this mountain, and it's hard and it's tough, and and you're you're trying to get to the summit so that finally you have a good perspective on things. Finally you can see things. Clearly, you can see things for what they are in all their glory. You can, um, you can have this sense of accomplishment, right, when you finally get to the top. And and then I kind of got sad for Dave. I thought, this guy who's, who's lived an amazing life by the world standards, I just kind of got sad. I was like, wow, he's been searching for something, and he s- still hasn't found it. He still hasn't found it and he's still doing this this thing. And and in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is showing us the mountain. And a lot of times, we think the mountain is outside of us, and it's something that we have to climb, but in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is showing us that we are the mountain, that you are mountain. That's why we're ending with, with this as a theme today, that you are actually the mountain. And the mountain isn't external, it's internal. The mountain isn't uh, ephemeral, it's eternal. It isn't physical, it's spiritual. And, and whatever your mountain is in your life, that you're trying to climb, your career, your job, have, have a family, just life in general, Jesus is saying, you're looking at the wrong thing. The Sermon on the Mount takes you from outside and it directs you inside. And, it draw, and Jesus is drawing us in and he's showing us something about ourselves. And that's the whole point. So that's the bottom line this morning. Now once you discover who you are, you will live out who you're always meant to be. Jesus is trying to help you this morning and through the Sermon on the Mount to discover who you are. So that you can actually live out who you were meant to be. Most of you guys this morning, you're not living out who you're meant to be. You're living a life that you've settled for. You're living a life that is just, it just happens to be your life now. And if you look back, you're like, ah, oh, why did I do that? Why did I? But, but, and then you just settle. Jesus is trying to show you who you are actually meant to be and the life you're supposed to be living. And so as we go in the Sermon on the Mount this morning, have that in mind. We'll take that through the, the entire passage here. And so let's, I'm going to read this again. <clears throat> and I'm going to emphasize a few things as we go through these few verses. So follow along with me on your Bibles and on the screen says, everyone, everyone, not just this guy or that girl or that person, everyone then who hears these words of mine and obeys them and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall because it was founded The foundation of it was on the rock. And everyone, again everyone, who hears these words of mine and does not obey them, does not do them, will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. There's two people in this passage. There's a wise man and there's a foolish man and Jesus is, is contrasting them for us. So we have, or there's some, but there's some similarities. So each one wanted to build a house. The wise man and the foolish man, they both wanted to build a house. They both wanted shelter, they both wanted rest, they both wanted a place for their families, they both wanted a place of protection. They both desired the same thing. They, all, they both desired a house. And then they both built in the same general location. Right? Because the winds came, the, the rain came, you get this picture that these houses are next to each other. One's on rock, one's on sand, and the winds come, the, the same weather comes. The rain, the rain and the floods, and one house goes down and one house stays. So they're in the same general location. They also, the this passage doesn't say they have different materials. Like It's not like one built with wood and the other straw or one brick and the other straw. These aren't the three little pigs. Like They have the same house. But the only difference is one built it in the wrong place. He built it on sand, the other one built it on rock. And, And Jesus says, the difference is, one person heard me and did what I said, the other person heard me and didn't do what I said. So, which is really interesting In this passage because he says it's not that he didn't hear me it's not that he wasn't listening it's not that I didn't tell him it's that I did tell him and he still didn't listen to me that's the foolish person in this passage that's the foolish man he heard me but he still disobeyed he didn't do do what I suggested Jesus is saying he didn't do he didn't do what I said but the wise man does. The wise man hears and then does and then does what he says. And, and what, what you should picture here, too, uh, with these two homes, is with one on the sand, one on the rock, is that uh, this isn't like this guy's on a mountain. This guy dug through the sand to get to the bedrock. He got to the foundation. That's the picture that Jesus is giving us, that he, he dug through the sand to get to the hard stuff so that he built his house on the solid foundation, okay? And that'll, that'll, come, back, that'll come back later uh, when, when we go through some characteristics. But so we see here these, these two homes, but the difference is, like I said, it's between one hearing and one not hearing. It's between the two men. And so this morning, I mean, just, just think about rains, floods, wind. When I think about rains, because in this passage, it's not about if something's going to happen, right? Jesus isn't like, well, if the rains come, he says, no, they're, they're going to come. The rains are coming, the flood's coming, the wind is going to come, and, and, he's, and he's showing us that it's about when, not, not if. So when I think about the rains, that could be, that could be a loss of a job, that could be a, an accident, that could be... Uh, a broken relationship, and when we think about the floods, maybe that's that's the death of a family member. That's that's a, an illness that you've been diagnosed with. That's chronic pain. That's suffering. You uh, know, when when we think about when I think about the wind, I think about the big bad wolf, like huffing and puffing and blowing the house down, which is one of my favorite stories that my dad used to read to us growing up. I just one a vivid memory of it. And, and the father this morning is, uh, I feel like the father this morning is saying, yeah, there's a big bad wolf out there. and that's the enemy. And so when I think of the wind, I think of temptation and sin, and I'm not saying Jesus meant these things, I'm just saying when I read this, that's, this is what I'm thinking of, like temptation and sin and, and pride and, and these things. And Jesus says here, if those things come, or when those things come, great will be the fall of the house. And that's probably death. When that house falls, that's probably death. Because what was supposed to protect you, what you thought was pro- protecting you, what you thought was sheltering you, what you thought was giving you provision, has just fallen on top of you. And that's it, guys. That's that's final. That's the finality of, of your decision to build on the sand versus building on the rock. And Jesus saying, Don't let it get to that point. Don't don't let it get there. And, and when you hear this, guys, remember this this passage, Jesus isn't sometimes you read the scriptures and because it's on its words on a page, we we put our own tone into it. And we read this, and we're like, oh, Jesus is angry and he's yelling at us. Guys, in the passage before where he said, I never knew you, his heart just broke for us. We often read that and we're like, I never knew you, get away from me. Jesus is saying, I never knew you, you're supposed to be in a relationship with me, and I don't even know you, and you're doing all these things, but you're not working out of relationship, and so now when he gets into this, that was the verse right above this, when he gets into this passage, he just, he's still talking, it's not distinct, and so he has this, I feel like he has this heartbreak going on where he's just urging, urging us to come, to come forward and just to listen to him and consider what he's saying. And so this morning, wherever you are in your faith, that's what Jesus is doing. He just wants you to consider. He's just urging you. He's not yelling at you. He's not pushing you away. He's, he's trying to draw you in so that you can hear his voice clearly. And he wants, he wants that to happen before that house falls on you. So <clears throat> there's four characteristics. Like I said, he's, these things may be the same, the house, the materials, the location, but... There's four characteristics of a wise man versus a foolish man that I want to walk us through. That I want you, as we go through these characteristics, I want you to say, is that me? Am I the wise person in this passage or am I I the foolish person? So let's go. Number one is delayed gratification, which is the wise, versus the foolish, which is immediate gratification. Delayed gratification just means that you're able, and the wise person is able to delay results, um, blessing even, reward, because they know that something greater is coming, because they know something bigger is coming. Most of us live in immediate gratification. We want it yesterday. We want it now, if not if we didn't have it yesterday, and it needs to happen now, and we want results quickly. That's the culture we live in. That's the city we live in, guys. That's Toronto, and like, we want results now. If you're not gonna produce results, then, then you need to leave and get out of here because you're just wasting my time. That's the foolish mentality. The, the wise mentality is delayed gratification, is delaying results. And, and much of the Christian walk, much of following Jesus is delayed gratification. And there is immediate gratification too, but much of it is delayed. And I don't mean like somewhere in, the, in, in eternity, way down, way down the road, I mean even in this life. But just think about your, your, um, your desires and your passions and the things that you want and the things that you buy. Think about your purchases. Think about what you, what you watch on, on Netflix and stuff like that. Think about uh, what your sin issues are. Like that will help you understand if you are more inclined towards immediate gratification or delayed gratification. And the majority of us are in that foolish category. And that's, that, that means we're building our house on the sand. And, and the sad truth, guys, is a lot of us don't even realize we've built our house on the sand. We don't even realize it. We've come in like these two men in this passage, and, and we both wanted beachfront property, and this guy says, I'm gonna build it on the sand. This guy says, that's not wise. You shouldn't build it on the sand. You should dig so that we can get to the foundation. He's like, nope, I want my beach house now. And then he built it, this guy's digging, 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 you know, two years later he finds the bedrock and builds his house, and then the rains come, and all that comes and and it tears it down. And it's because this foolish guy wanted immediate gratification. And this one said, no, we have to do some work first before we can see that happen. So, yeah, just think about that in your sin and in your life. Number two, listener versus criticizer. The wise person listens, hears, considers, and then acts with that in mind. The foolish person listens, hears, considers, maybe even considers, and then acts with that not in mind. The foolish person also can immediately push back or immediately criticize or immediately discard someone else's, what someone else is saying. And but the wise person takes all into account before they make a decision. And that's, that's what's happening in this passage, too. So think about where you are in that. If someone has a, if just basic, if someone has an idea that is against you, and we're not even talking about the Christian faith, just at work or in your family, are you immediately pushing back? Are you immediately criticizing? Are you immediately saying, no, no, I'm just do it my way? Um, you take that into your faith. So that when God says something to you, what do you think your reaction is? going mean, You're going you're to react just like that. The wise person listens, considers, then acts. The foolish person doesn't do that. Uh, number three, eternal perspective versus ephemeral perspective. Ephemeral just means fleeting, like it's, it's, it's uh, going away. That just is alliterative. That's why I use that word. Um, but I can actually, I could, we could talk about eternal perspective for the rest of the year. It's one of my favorite things to talk about. I'm only going to say a few words on it here. But this is the perspective from the top of the mountain. It's being able to see everything. And when you realize that what Jesus is getting at, that you are the mountain and that he's overcome that, you're going to have an eternal perspective. But Most of us stick in this myopic, tunnel vision, ephemeral perspective that is about the here and about the now. And we just get stuck in there and we don't think about consequences, we don't think about eventualities, we don't think about possibilities, and, and that's what's happening here. The foolish person, he built his house in good circumstances. It wasn't raining yet. It wasn't flooding yet, right? And he made his decision based on his present circumstances. The wise person considered possibilities and eventualities and said, well, it's not raining today, but it might rain, so I should build my house so that it doesn't collapse when it does rain. I should build my house so that when the floods come, it doesn't collapse. I should build my house so that when the winds come, it doesn't collapse. And he's thinking about these things, and he's not just thinking about himself, he's thinking about others. He's thinking about his family that he's going to put in that house. He's, he's not just thinking about his own desires, he's thinking about the desires of others. And that's an eternal perspective. That only happens when you're on top of the mountain most of us are still trying to climb the mountain. That's religion. If you've brought that into your faith, that's just religion. You haven't entered into a relationship with the Father. That's the only way to get on top of the mountain. We're gonna hit that a little bit more uh, later. Number four, this is really simple. The The wise person obeys Jesus, the foolish person opposes Jesus, and I use that word, intentionally oppose Jesus, because you could say, well, just because i don't obey jesus doesn't mean i don't doesn't mean i oppose him you just you're just sitting there and at best at best the foolish person just disobeys and affects himself at worst they impede the way of the righteous because they're upholding the way of the wicked and the wise person who obeys is in the way of the righteous because that's the way of jesus and upholds righteousness whereas the foolish person is doing the opposite. So just, just look at those and say, where, where am I on that? Ask, ask the Lord to do a work in your heart this morning and say, God, I'm, I do tend towards immediate gratification. Show me how to trust you and, and be more like the wise person in delayed gratification or, or any one of those. Show me how to be a better, a better listener. Give me an internal perspective and, and those things. So our church, we want to be these things. Trinity life. We want to be a church that looks at delayed gratification, that, that listens to our community in our city, that has an eternal perspective, not, not an ephemeral fleeting one, one that obeys Jesus, not, not opposes Jesus. And in our very brief history as a church, we've, we've come pretty close to that. Um, and it's been really cool to see how God has, has built our church and, and built a kingdom house. Our DNA at, at Trinity Life can be summed up in four letters, four words, Kingdom, Disciple, Society, Church, KDSC. And that is that we're building a kingdom house. We're in the kingdom and we're disciples of the king. We, and as disciples, we engage society, we work in our city, we work in our community. That's why we emphasize St. Jamestown so much. And out of that arises the church. It's why our church didn't begin in a worship service. It's why we don't put all of our money into into smoke machines and lights and and whatever else here. It's why a lot of our money goes out to the city. It's why we work in St. Jamestown. It's why when we started the church, we just started by working with organizations in the city. We didn't even start as a prayer group, which we probably should have started as that. We did pray, though. Um, We didn't start as a Bible study group, right? Like, who's going to come to our Bible study? We just started by working in the city, building relationships, and people were drawn to community and mission. Odds are, the reason you're at this church is because of one of those two things. It's not because of the great preaching or okay preaching. It's not because we have phenomenal music. And I hope that if, if that is, then you're coming to the wrong place. There's a lot of churches who do that stuff better than we do it. It's because you're drawn by community and by mission. Because you saw a church that wasn't doing things like this in the city, that was working in the city, that was that was the um, hands and feet to, to the oppressed in our city, that, that was working with the poor, that was working in underprivileged communities and saying, what do we have to offer and how can we come alongside? odds are that's what drew you to this this church. And that's who we are, that is our DNA, K-D-S-E, Kingdom Disciples Society Church. And, And out of that has come what Michelle mentioned, the new common space that we're opening in St. Jamestown in July. This is a space that we've been dreaming about for five years, that is finally happening, is finally coming to to fruition. It's a physical space in St. Jamestown that we pay for as a church, but is free to the St. Jamestown community for us to work with organizations. And guess what, guys? The organizations we work with in there aren't Christian organizations. They're secular organizations, but they're doing kingdom work. They just don't realize it. And we get to come alongside them and push the kingdom forward we get to infuse the gospel we get to share the love of Jesus and we get to build a relationship and show the love of Christ by just living out our calling and our passions and our gifts that 's why the spiritual gifts thing is so important because how can you do that unless you know what those are so if you 're an artist in here, that space is for you if you 're an educator in here that space is for you if you 're a business person in here that space is for you if you 're If you're in ministry, that space is for you. If you're in medical, if you're in governance, if you're in all all these things, social work, like that space is for you to dream and to use and to to build relationships in a community that is almost 30,000 people. And I don't know, Michelle, 29,000 of them don't know Jesus, maybe more, right? I mean, right here, this is that community. And we get to be there, be the light and salt that Jesus calls us to be in the Sermon on the Mount. We get to be these things there in that community. The issue is, that's the vision of our church, that's the dream of our church, but the church is made up of individuals who don't understand that in their lives. That's us, that's you guys. You don't understand that you are salt and light. You don't understand what it means to live in the kingdom. And and that's what the whole Sermon on the Mount is trying to get us to. Jesus is revealing to you who you are. He's trying to help you discover your identity and destiny in Christ in order to influence our city and the world. And when you do that, you're actually going to live as you were always meant to live. You're going to have the life that Jesus meant to give you. You're going to have the abundant life. You have a different quality of life. And in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus has gone through all these things. Go to that other slide, yeah. And, and uh, well, yeah, we're, actually, yeah, let's go to this. And he's gone through all these things, and, and in Matthew 5 to, to chapter 6, we can sum the Sermon on the Mount in three words. Hear, trust, and obey. And, and the first part of it, he's, and this is discipleship, this is how we talk about discipleship here at, here at Trinity Life, that it's just hearing the voice of God, what Jesus is saying here, it's trusting him, and then it's obeying. So Jesus gives us all this stuff at the beginning, he tells us who we are in, in the here section, and then he asks us to trust him. This is right after the Lord's Prayer, and he's like, don't be anxious about things, guys. Trust me. You're in relationship with the Father of the universe. Trust me. You've heard these things, and I know they're hard but trust me, you've heard all these things and you cannot do them, but trust me. And then he says in this last section, last two weeks and then this week, obey, now walk forward. And it's not an obey like, do what I say. And he's just saying, hear me, trust me, I'm with you. Now obey. And here's the kicker, here's the secret. You can't do this on your own. You weren't meant to do it by yourself. You're never going to scale that mountain. Ever. You're just like Sisyphus, rolling the rock up the hill, and then it comes down for eternity. This is a Greek myth. And you're rolling up, and it comes down. You're never going to get to the top of the mountain. Jesus has conquered the mountain for us. And in the Sermon on the Mount, all that we've been going through, all the different themes that we've been going through, Jesus is saying, you are these things. So look at this, guys. This is everything that you are in the Sermon on the Mount that we've gone through in the past few months. You're blessed. You're valuable. You're fulfilled. You're reconciled. You were separated. Now you're together. You're victorious. You're rescued. Jesus has set us free from the prison You are transformed. He's changed our lives. He's given us a new life. You're perfected because the Father is perfected. You're approved. You don't have to seek approval anymore. You're approved in Jesus, in the Father. You're forgiven. You are eternal. You are made for the ephemeral. You are made for the eternal. You're secure. He's saying, trust me. You are holy. You are able. You're awakened. You are a mountain. And Jesus didn't just conquer death. He didn't just conquer sin. He conquered our lives to give us a new life. And, he, and if you understand that, he's set you on top of the mountain because he's on the top of it. And if your life is in Christ, he's given you that perspective. He's given you all those things. And you don't have to work for any of those things. Those things are all given to us in Christ Jesus. You don't have to be worked to be approved. You don't have to work to, to be fulfilled. You don't have to work to be victorious. Jesus did all that on your behalf. And so he's saying this morning, hear my voice, trust me in all of that, and just step forward into it. And just live your life like those are true. Like Cecile said this morning, you may not, you may not believe that, uh, well, I can't remember, where is Cecile? Which, which verse was it? You may not, she's like, you may not believe that this is true, but it is. If you have to repeat it over and over again, just do that. Repeat it over and over again where you believe that these things are true for you. Because in Christ Jesus, they are. And he ends this passage, or Matthew ends this passage by saying in verse 28 and 29, And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. That's the difference between human wisdom and divine wisdom. The scribes, the Pharisees, the religious people of that day, all they could offer was human wisdom. All they could offer was was something on human authority. Jesus was distinct because he came with divine authority. He came with something they hadn't seen in a really long time. Maybe these, this generation had never seen. And he starts speaking and they're just in awe. Why? Why does Jesus have this divine authority? You know, why, why does he, when he talks about, it's kind of, when you read this passage, and, and we've had this issue with the Sermon on the Mount. I've talked about this issue the whole time where, where people take segments of the Sermon on the Mount. This issue has, has been there. Uh, on, in each sermon, we, we piecemeal it. We, we take out one section of it, and we try to interpret one section of, of Jesus' sermon when it's an entire unit. And this is one of those passages that we take out, and, and it can seem obscure when we read it. We're like, okay, what's, what's with the rock, Jesus? What's, what's with this imagery of the houses? It doesn't, it doesn't really connect with us until we look at the entirety of the Scriptures. In Exodus chapter 17 and in Numbers chapter 20, the people of Israel are in the wilderness and they don't have any water and they feel like they're about to die. And God provides this rock in the wilderness with no water around. He provides this rock that living water comes out of to quench the thirst of the people in Exodus 17 and Numbers 20. In Deuteronomy 32, it's a song of Moses, and Moses begins to develop this theology of the Father, and, <clears throat> and it's the first time we see that in the scriptures, and he, and he begins to develop the, this theology of the rock, and in this prophetic utterance, he, he talks about the rock over and over and over again, and he points Israel back to this rock during 32, is at the end of the, the first five books of the Bible, right before they enter into the Promised Land. He's reminding them who that rock is, that God provided for them that God provides for you this morning. And then going into 1 Samuel uh, chapter two, Hannah, uh, Samuel's mother who's barren and without kids, she cries out to God and she says, I know you're my rock. I know you're the provider. And she calls him that. And then in 2 Samuel chapter 22, King David is there and he writes Psalm 18 and he declares Psalm 18 in in 2 Samuel chapter 22, and he says, God, you are my rock, you're my fortress, you're my deliverer, you're my protector, you're my ever-present help, and you're my rescuer. And then in 2 Samuel uh, chapter 23, David utters his last words, and his last words include calling God the rock of Israel. And we see this rock imagery all through the scriptures, and then you go to the Psalms, or before that you go to Nehemiah chapter nine, and Nehemiah, this is the Israel, has just returned to the promised land, and he reminds them of the rock again. He says, this, it's, the, it's the rock. Remember, guys, God is our rock. And then you go to the Psalms, and there's over 30 different references in the Psalms, to or almost 30 different references in the Psalms, to God as rock. To God as the rock. To, to this rock that we're seeing in the scriptures, in, in, this, in this passage. And then Isaiah picks this up, and Isaiah is known as the fifth gospel. You know, you have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and in the Old Testament and Hebrew scriptures, you have Isaiah, that's known as the fifth gospel. And then Isaiah, there's multiple references to the rock, and, and Isaiah says, God, you're the everlasting rock. He says, you are, you are uh, the rock and the deliverer in, in Isaiah chapter 14 and Isaiah chapter 20-something. And then Isaiah chapter 44, God himself speaks, and he says, there is no rock besides me. He says, you guys keep on looking for rocks in your idols. You keep on looking for rocks over here, but there's no rock besides me. Everything else is sand. There's no other rock. And then in in Isaiah chapter 51, God says, I'm the everlasting rock. And he says, guess what? You were hewn from the rock. You were made from it. You were hewn out of it. You are hewn out of this rock. And in Habakkuk chapter one, Habakkuk reminds us again of the rock towards the end of the Old Testament. He reminds us who the rock is, and then Paul picks up on this in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And Paul says, that rock in the wilderness, that was a spiritual rock. You think that rock is, is still there? That rock in the wilderness that followed you around, that rock that you drank living water out of, that was the spiritual rock who is Christ. And he makes this mystery known in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And then in Romans 9, he quotes Isaiah 8, and he says, this rock, this stone, has become a stumbling block, an offense to those who are perishing. But if you trust in this rock, you will not be put to shame. You will not be put to shame if you trust in the rock. Peter picks up on this in 1 Peter chapter 2, and he says the same thing, and he says, and on top of that, Jesus Christ is the cornerstone of the foundation. That cornerstone is there to make sure the rest of the foundation gets put in place. Jesus is the chief piece of the foundation of the house. He's the chief rock of all the rocks. He is is that piece that puts everything else in order. And then in Matthew 16... Jesus says, on this rock, I will build my church. And a lot of people think he's pointing to Peter because Peter's name means rock. Jesus is talking about himself, guys. He says, on this rock, right here, this rock, I'm going to build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And you have the keys to the kingdom, he says. You have the keys to the kingdom to loose things into this world. You have the keys to the kingdom to bind things up in this world that are, and they'll be bound in heaven. And you can loose them in the world and loose them. And I always thought that was a peculiar passage. I'm like, what do we loose? We loose love. We loose mercy. We loose forgiveness. We loose grace. We loose blessedness. We loose freedom. We loose victory. We loose reconciliation. All these things that we've been given in Christ Jesus, we get to release into this world. And I'm tired of the church just... Holding these things for ourselves. When there's people dying and going to hell all around us. And we act like we don't care because we don't do anything about it. And if we don't do anything about it, we're just like the fool. And your house will collapse. And the sad thing is, most of you think you built your house on Jesus. And you're going to find out that you haven't. How are you doing in your circumstances right now? How are you doing in your broken relationships? How are you doing in your broken marriage? How are you doing in your sin? How are you doing in your struggles for calling and your doubts with faith and your doubts with life? How are you doing in in just day-to-day living? And that's gonna determine whether your house is built on the rock or not. I met with someone this week and I told and they said, how are you doing today? And it was a rough week, guys. This was, uh, like, if you looked at my week, it was a rough week for, for us. And I said, you know what? It's a good day. I'm living in with Jesus." And he was like, I wish I could have that. <laughs> he just like, wow, I wish I could have that mentality. And I said that to another, I said it to multiple people this week. And, and I was like, after I said it, I was like, do I believe that? I can say that, but do I actually believe that? Do you believe that this morning? Guys, whatever you're going through, Build your house on the rock. Hear Jesus. Consider what he's saying. Follow through in obedience with him. We see the rock all through the scriptures there. And Jesus saying, You are mountain, you have, you have conquered these things in me, now loose these things in the world. You are salt, you are light, you are love, you are freedom, you are forgiveness you are reconciliation, you are able, you're empowered, you're victorious. Live your life like that today in Jesus Christ. That's the only way you can do it. And so this morning, if you're a follower of Jesus, a lot of that was for you. If you're not a follower of Jesus this morning, that's what we're inviting you into. We want you to experience that with us. And so as you guys approach communion this morning, Remember that this, is, this represents the body of Christ broken for us, his blood shed for us. And so as you, as you approach the Lord's table, ask God to do a work in your heart this morning to give you those things that you're lacking, to redirect your perspective towards him, to hear, to trust, to obey. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you. Thank you that we don't have to do it ourselves, because we can't. Thank you that you did it all for us, that all we have to do is trust in you. Thank you that you pursue us with a love that is never-ending, that is just always there. Thank you that you never give up on us. And so, Jesus, do your work in our hearts this morning and show us who you are this morning so that we would hear, that we would trust, and we would obey. We ask it in your name. Amen.